That was, I didn't hear anything, but uh, weren't those like sparkles out of your fingers, like lightning maybe? Looks good in my hand. Really? We've located your cousin. Uh, oh, good. Yeah, come on. There he is. Hey, cuz. We almost couldn't couldn't find you. What have you been hiding? Hi. Hmm. So. Sorry. Got to admit what you did, Carlo. Kipling. What? Just for Campbell. He, he said it was only a small camel. What did you do to small camels? I was gambling. Scambling? Scambling. I don't know what that means. Scambling with the camel? It was camping. C camping? He just said he was camping. That, that's not so bad. Camping's bad. But what'd you really do? I was gambling. Gambling. Oh, gambling. Oh, that's yeah, not good. Yeah. Hmm. Carlo? I pardon you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. I pardon oh, thank you. Don't do it again, though, right? You're officially, officially pardoned from life. Is now is that forgiveness? Is that really true pardon? Um, so that's the theme for today, all right? And as we are embarking in Second Corinthians, um, we're we're looking at uh, Paul's troubles. Uh, for those who have just joined us, 2 Corinthians, the, uh, we visited 1 Corinthians. It was really about the Corinthians' troubles, right? But now we're into 2 Corinthians, and it's really about Paul's troubles, Paul's struggles, his burdens, his uh, sufferings that he's been incurring, physical sufferings, mental sufferings, spiritual sufferings. And this particular letter, even though it's written to the Corinthians, it's actually more a reflection on himself and how and he's allowing us to journey with him through his suffering and how he navigates it. Now, we're not quite sure what suffering he's encountering right now, like at, at this moment. Like, um, like I said last week, many of the theologians traditionally said they don't know. And if you uh, bought the book, uh, the N.T. Wright book, he even says, no one knows. I don't know what's going on with Paul. But it was so traumatic that it, it encompassed everything. Betrayal, physical suffering, mental suffering, anxiety attacks, like nervous breakdowns, right? So it involved a lot, this one trauma, traumatic event. So he's giving us hints every chapter. Last week, we went to chapter one, right? And what was chapter one? Chapter one was more about Paul reminding himself of the three foundations that he always lean on when it comes to suffering. And it's because this is the three foundations that he leaned on to find God's comfort. And so what were they? First one is the truth, the truth of that in the gospel, it says that Jesus suffered, and so he can suffer with us. I'll say that again. Jesus suffered greatly, and therefore Jesus is alive today. He is fully qualified to suffer alongside with us, regardless of what kind of suffering we're incurring. You follow? That's one truth. And throughout the whole entire letter, you'll see Paul revisiting this truth, this foundation. Every encounter, every type of suffering he's encountering, mental, physical, spiritual, he will always revisit this truth in each chapter. Second, the second truth is God will deliver us from suffering. He said, yes, amen. He will do it. He will make a promise. Now, that deliverance could be your lifetime, my lifetime, or it could be death and in resurrection. 
that, type, that is also deliverance. Death is also deliverance. Some of us uh, would say, what? But yes, we as Christians look forward to our death. For it is only through death we are resurrected and have glorious bodies and spend eternity with God, which is the ultimate end for all of us, right? So God promises, always promises, and keeps his promise that he will deliver each of us from our suffering, whether through his, this lifetime or through resurrection and into our glorious bodies. Lastly, the seal of the Holy Spirit, the deposit. Jesus' death and resurrection paid a deposit. And what does deposit mean? It means that it guarantees something in the end, right? We all have a guarantee that regardless what happens to us today, that regardless of whether we're stumbling or falling or bumbling, whatever, we are sealed with a permanent seal, Paul says, with the Holy Spirit guaranteeing and assuring us that regardless what happens now, in the end, we will have a glorious body and spend eternity with God. What a great promise, right? Regardless of all the, well, I will, like this sermon is actually entitled When Poop Hits the Fan. Regardless of all the poop that's, that's hitting the fan right now, you can be sure and with assurance and confidence that you have the seal of the Holy Spirit and that seal's permanent and that's paid and it's done that the glorious body awaits you in the end. The eternal life and the relationship with God for eternity is awaiting you and it's guaranteed. Okay? All right. Now, let's go on to chapter two. And I entitled it when the, you know, proverbial poop hits the fan. What to do, all right? So let's go on. So we reviewed chapter one. So the two goals for this morning, what are they? Well, before I do that, it's, uh, I'll tell you a story. Um, I have a group of friends, a handful, and these friends of mine, it takes a lot for them to get riled up, all right? They're like really cool-headed, they're, like, they're cool people, like, they're just, they're older, maybe that's why they're cool, maybe it's just slower to react, I don't know, but they're really cool, right? And uh, one of my friends, he's an older gentleman, and he's the one who actually brought me into ministry, like uh, brought me into marketplace ministry with Company of Disciples. He served many years, okay, many years as an elder for a church, of my, like uh, one of my home churches at Vancouver Chinese Alliance. He, he served many years there, all right? Um, he was a part-time intern pastor one time when, the, when one of the pastors quit. He taught Sunday school. Um, he led small groups, many years. And uh, for all the time that I've seen him, all my years anyway, I've never seen him get emotionally riled up. He doesn't blow up. I think Rosanna knows exactly who I'm talking about. He doesn't blow up. He just stays as cool. And then all the, everybody knows that it takes a lot of poop to hit the fan in order to get him riled up. All right? A lot. And, and, uh, and that's very rare. So he's like this cool-headed guy, stable rock, that uh, a lot of young, us young yahoos, you know, the, us like just younger guys, like uh, we're all these emotional critters, right? We really depend on him to be our mentor. We call him Uncle all the time, Uncle Bill, Uncle Bill, because he is this stable guy that we could lean on. He's our mentor. Now, there was another friend of mine, and uh, he goes to another church, uh, Fraserlands, and he he's another cool-headed guy, and he shared one time a story. Uh, while he was, um, you know, he was playing hockey. And after hockey, he was uh, driving home, okay? And then on his way home, he felt that a stroke was coming on, a heart stroke, right? He, and then he, he pulls over, takes out his phone and calls his wife. Lo and behold, he got his, her voicemail, right? So what does he say? Well, I'll quote you. 
or I'll quote him. You know, he said this, hi, honey. I think I'm having a heart stroke. I'll be driving to the hospital now. If you don't hear from me, I love you. Bye. That's all he said. <laughs> all right? Now, if, if you were on the other line, if you were his wife, who both Rosanna and I know are it's quite an emotional person, right? You can see her, you could probably picture her reaction right now, right, when you get this voicemail. But that's who he was. But now you know what? And that's still who he is today. He got his surgery, they did something that stuck up his leg and to fix his heart. But he's okay now, he's alive and well. But he's still that cool-headed guy. That's these guys are just rocks, like solid rocks that are just, you know, they remain their cool. So for these friends of mine, anyone who knows them would always say about like things about them saying, oh, it takes a lot to get them riled up. It takes a lot of poop to fly in the hip, uh, to hit the fan in order to get them riled up. You know, like for me, I don't know, but like, yeah, some of you know me a little bit more now. Am I a patient guy? No. <laughs> right? Like, and then, like, I, I see myself patient, but, you know, from other people's perspective, aka my wife, would say, no, you're not, right? And then, uh, uh, and I thought that I thought that I'm a more emotionally stable guy, and it takes a lot of poop to hit the fan in order to get me riled up. But apparently, all poop hits the fan and it gets me riled up. So, you know, I get riled up too. So now I always wonder and ask my friends, how do you do this? How do you keep so cool, right? In light of everything, right? In light of all this stuff happening, how do you keep this cool, right? Well, I will go back to the, my friends later on after, uh, near the end of this sermon. But let's just take a look at Paul. So our goal today, there's two goals for today when we look at Paul. Because big poop hit the fan for Paul. All right? And you know what? He's the one who caused it. He's the one who actually caused the poop to hit the fan. It made it worse. So today, this morning, we're going to take a look at how Paul navigated and how he uh, found ways to make amends when he actually created that poop that hit the fan. But then also, at the same time, what did he do in order to prevent the poop to get worse? All right? That's our two goals. Like, not make it a poop storm, so to speak. All right? In light of the gospel foundations we just revisited in chapter one. All right? So let's move on. Okay, let's, uh, if you have your Bibles, to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 4. I'll read. So I made up my mind that I would not make another painful visit to you, for if I grieve you, who is left to make me glad but you whom I have grieved? I wrote as I did so that when I came, I would not be distressed by those who should have made me rejoice. I had confidence in all of you that you would share all, that you would all share my joy. If you could bold it, bold it on your Bible. For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. So he, Paul here taps into one of the foundational truths. What is it? It's actually foundation number one. He says that Jesus suffers with us. Jesus is suffering alongside with me right now. Yes, I created this error that I made and I wanted to fix it, but it created more of a poop storm. So, but then Jesus suffers with us, which means that with that truth, if everybody, if all Christians are in the body of Christ, everyone else is suffering alongside with me. You follow? So if something happened in our church or something happened to our brother or sister here or anywhere in this world, we, also suffer with them. 
Follow? But in turn, in turn though, we also share in the joys with them. Okay? So not only do we share in the sufferings, we also share in the joys and the possible joys of com the coming joys together. So Paul says here, I had confidence in all of you that you would all share in my joy. And therefore, he says, the first step when the poop storm does hit is to actually to step back and reflect and say, wait, a lot of our problems are very relational, right? It involves people. So we have to make, remember and remind ourselves, Paul says, that remember this truth and foundation that if, we, if Jesus is suffering alongside with us, it means that other people are suffering alongside with us. It also means that that person that I'm dealing with, that the poop storm is happening together, is suffering alongside with us. But also this person is going to share in the joy with me as well. And chances are, if we know that person quite well, we had shared in joys previously before the poop storm happened. You follow? That we share both sufferings and joy. Now you might ask, but John, you know, how about those people that we don't know? How about those coworkers that we don't know? How about those people that we really don't have a great, like a really deep relationship or a good you know, connection with? How about those uh, people that like our employees, our colleagues, people we're not quite familiar with? Well, you know what? Paul had that too. And how did he deal with it? How do I know that, how do we know that Paul was not just talking to the Corinthians, the people that he knew? Well, if you go to verse one on your Bible, in your Bibles, I'll read this. Paul. An apostle of Jesus Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Achaia. You see that? It means that he doesn't know everyone. The church was growing without him knowing. But then the church says, oh, by the way, there's a lot of people that are from Achaia right, are coming into our church. So he doesn't know that. That's the next slide, by the way, Rachel. It's like a, he doesn't know that, right? But he, he didn't know the people of Achaia. But he knew one truth, that anyone that, I, that he deals with can be celebrating with him in joy in the future. They have the potential to celebrate with him in joy in the future. So let's say you had a colleague or a boss that was overbearing and then like, or somebody that you can't really deal with and then a poop storm happened between the two of you, right? Paul says, wait, remember the foundation number one. We all share in the suffering and we all share in the joys. Take a step back and remember that one truth, that this person in front of us can, is also a possible participant in sharing joy with us in the future. Don't compromise that. You follow? It's like, wow, that person that I really hate, <laughs> right? Well, back up. That person that you really dislike can also be that very person that you're gonna celebrate joy with in the future. Don't jeopardize that, right? That's the truth that, that's the foundation of what it means to suffer alongside with Jesus because Jesus, all Christians are in one body in Christ, agree? And all peoples are potential Christians in Christ, agree? So therefore, everyone has a possibility to share in our joys. Let's not jeopardize that. So that's, Paul is reflecting upon himself, reminding himself of that foundation by telling that to the Corinthians. He's also reminding us, okay? All right, let's move on. So even when Paul did not know the holy people through Achaia, he believed that they too will make Paul's joy complete. The very people in our midst, our neighbors, our strangers, 
all have the potential to celebrate joy with us. Okay, let's move on. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 4 to 6. All right? For I wrote you out of great distress and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to grieve you, but to let you know the depth of my love for you. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Again, he tapped into which foundation? The first one, right? He says, we all hurt together, Paul says. No one should grieve alone. Let me, let me say that again. No one should grieve alone. No one should suffer alone. We as human beings, uh, Henry and I just, visited, uh, just attended a Vancouver Foundation Summit yesterday, two days ago, right? Two days ago on Friday. And they even said that we, as a community, to be connected, we share in our grievances, we share our loss, we share our struggles together. Even a nonprofit secular organization says that. Think about it, all right? We all human beings need to share life together. That's why we're, we are created as community, in need of community, right? So Paul says here, one of the truths is to share in each other's grief and loss. Remember the video in Inside Out? that I showed last week, some of you were not there, about uh, sadness comforting Bing Bong. Sadness did not provide solutions, did she? She didn't go, oh, come on, Bing Bong, cheer up, right? You can do this, right? Give me a high five, let's change the subject and go move on. Forget about the suffering. No, sadness goes, it must have been, man, you must be very sad to have lost that. Tell me about it. It must have been sad to have lost that. What kind of memories? You must have very good memories of that particular loss, right? It's that journeying, the continuing journeying of sharing another person's suffering, another person's story, right? Uh, Henry, if you could go, like, have a chance, talk to Henry about the blanket exercise that we just did, the Kairos blanket exercise. It, that forced us, it gave us, actually it didn't force us, it gave us the privilege to share in the sufferings of the indigenous peoples. It's amazing. I wish that we could do it here, but I'm not too sure if we're ready for it. But it's, a, it's an opportunity to, like, for the indigenous peoples to invite us into their history of suffering, for us to participate. They're not telling us we're wrong. They didn't say that. They didn't tell us, oh, you better for, like, repent and blah, 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 right? No, their way of reconciliation, our way should be, to make amends is to share in each other's sufferings and grievances. Okay. Because notice that in here, in this passage, you know, we, don't, we do know that there's a big problem happening. Paul does not rationalize this away. Not a typical thing, you know, that we would have done. We, he didn't say, oh, look, you're wrong, I'm right, or look, like, uh, you know, I was right, you were wrong, and that's why I hit the boob storm, right? You know, no blaming, nothing. What did he say? I know you're hurt. I know I'm hurt. We hurt together. Okay? All right. Let's move on. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to 8. He says this, The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Hmm, who is this him? Well, we don't know. Some people may get, may, uh, made some assumptions and say, maybe that guy who slept with his uh, dad's new wife, remember him in chapter... Six, uh, chapter 5, uh, it could be him, but it could be to somebody else. 
But it's definitely him, uh, like this gentleman was the poopetrator. Get it? Poopetrator? Okay. Too early. <laughs> All right, so we're not sure, but a lot of scholars say this is the guy that caused a lot of problem. He created the problem, Paul tried to fix it, and then, but then when Paul tried to fix it, it seemed like the Corinthians received it, lost in translation type of thing, and thought that he was being condescending and judgmental. So then they attacked him again, and he goes and tries to respond too quickly, and then so everything went into a poop storm. You follow? Uh, how many of you have experienced that through emails or texts? You know, you meant one thing, and then suddenly it was misinterpreted, and you go, how come you're so emotional? <laughs> and, then, and then he goes, and then, what? No, you're emotional, you're, no, you're irrational. And then they go, no, I'm not. <laughs> and it suddenly just hit the fan, and then it just explodes. You follow? It happened to me. I don't know if it happens to you. It happened to me frequently. But um, that, that's what's happening here. The letters were being exchanged, everything got lost, and now this whole storm hits. So Paul, what is, what is the next foundation that Paul gives us? He goes like this. He, like, uh, let's, uh, he goes like this. Uh, let's go to and read this. He goes, the punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. There were a lot of divisions that created in this church through this poop storm. Some people sided with him. Some people sided with Paul, right? There's a division. So what does Paul say? Let's forgive. Let's forgive. But wait a minute, though. Let's talk about a little about forgiveness. Is forgiveness just a pardon and zap them with a melting stick, you know, in Thor? Or is there something more to it just mere, instead of just mere lip service? So let's take a look at this. In, uh, if you turn with me again, go to 9 and 11. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and obedient in everything. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. All right, forgive. We all know what forgive means, right? We've been in this, on this planet long enough, right? If somebody done some harm to you and then you await their apology, what do you say? I forgive you. And what does that mean? I just kind of pardon you. I, I, you know, yeah, like I won't inflict any harm upon you or punishment on you. That's forgiveness. But then there's more to forgiveness in the Christian realm, though. What do I mean by that? Here, let's take a look at this. Paul says this obedient in everything. You notice that? What does he mean by that? He goes, another reason I wrote to you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Is forgiveness a command then? You ask yourself. Because he says obedient, which means that you have to, it's a command, right? Well, yes it is. Because Jesus commanded it here. So let's look at that. What do I mean by that? Here's two examples. Quickly, uh, on the slide, Matthew 6, 14 to 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's a good command, right? That's a pretty good command. And then in Luke, it says, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. That is actually a command. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. So forgiveness is a command. Commanded by Jesus, who is? God. But is forgiveness just a, you know, uh, a matter of receiving a person back? Is it more, is it uh, just a lip service and like what I just said, or in a, you know, stick them with a melting stick? No, right? What did Paul say in this 
passage later on. He says this, and what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Wait a minute. Does Paul have a short-term memory? What do you mean by, and what I have forgiven if there was anything to forgive? Did he just forget about this guy who was the perpetrator, right, of what he has done? You noticed? Like, is he, does it mean that he has a short-term memory? Or is he, is he forgetting? No, Paul actually intentionally forgot. He intentionally forgot what this guy did. He actually not only forgave this person, but he intentionally made the choice from his heart, with his mind, to practice every day to forget. You follow? Here's what N.T. Wright says in, uh, in that book that you'll be reading. He goes like this, you can intend to forget something and actually succeed. You might think that the more you, th- you know, you, the more you thought about your intention to forget it, the more you would in fact remember it. No doubt that sometimes that happens too. But it is one of the core disciplines of the Christian life that with certain things we should intend to forget, forget them and succeed. The things in question are of course the bad things that other people have done which have affected us in some way. If you cling on to them, if you turn them over and over in your mind, they will go on having a bad effect on you. You are, in fact, going on giving the other people power to change and harm your life. But if you learn to let them go, you are free. Forgiveness is a two-way street. It's by releasing the other person from guilt, and you release yourself from being crippled by their actions. So in some, like, just to sum up what he mean, you know why Jesus commanded it? It's actually for our own good to forgive and to forget. Because it's so that we do not allow the things that wronged us to lord over us. Remember what the, command, our, the greatest command is, love the Lord with your all. Well, what is currently consuming your all when somebody wrongs you? The wrong, that person that wronged you. And so Paul is saying, and N.T. Wright is saying, that a good Christian practice, and that is a Christian practice, is to forget, to forgive and to forget. That is a Christian practice that we need to practice on because if we do not, N.T. Wright and Paul says, that will lord over you and become, unfortunately, your God. And we worship that day in and day out then. All right, let's move on. It says, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he goes, in order that Satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes. Oh, so that's why we forget, right? If we do not, if we continue to let him mull over, what is Satan's primary agenda? Is to put a wedge between us and God, right? That's his primary agenda, is to turn us away from God. If we continue to mull over the wrongs that have done on us, that is literally putting a wedge between us and God and replacing God with the wrongs and allowing the wrongs to just consume us. So, you know, like, uh, I'm sure you've heard these things before, forgive and forget, forgive and forget, like through like company training manuals, and uh, and then also these pithy statements, these memes on Facebook, right? But then you must realize that there's more, that in the Christian sense, it's true. Because if we do not forget and let it go, we'll let it lower over us, day in and day out. And then Satan would go, yep, I'm continuing to put a wedge between you and God. See how I'm doing it? He's brilliant, and to give him credit. That's a brilliant scheme. 
Okay, next one. Now, did Paul actually command this too? Well, yes, he did. Recall that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4 to 5, it says what? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It does not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. And it keeps no record of wrongs. Forget. Forgive and forget is a practice of love. All right. Lastly, he says this in uh, 14 to 16. But thanks be to God who always lead us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life, and who is equal to such a task? What in the world does that mean? Well, remember my friends? Remember them? Okay. I, I was asking one of my friends, the guy who made that phone call <laughs> to his wife, I was asking him, how do you keep your cool? You know that he didn't, you know, as an older gentleman, he, you, you would expect advice saying, oh, be patient, you know, have some self-control. He didn't say that. He said this, John, remember that I always remind myself that all my actions is a testimony of the gospel. All my responses, all my reactions are a testimony of the gospel. It's, we are the procession. You know what a procession is? A procession is uh, when uh, the victor, like Jesus, goes out and this line behind him that follow, you know, the victors. We are that procession. We are in Christ, we are victorious, and we are showing the world that we are victorious. That's one part. And so he's saying, my friend's saying that every response that I do, I have to remember and remind myself that people are watching. And if I react and respond in a way, I have to also respond in a way that is a good testimony of the gospel. That's the first lesson that he told me. Second, what is up with the aroma? The aroma, you know, that aroma that, that Paul is referring to? Well, remember about the sacrifice back then when they sacrificed in the temple and uh, they go up there and then especially the atonement, sacrifice of atonement, what do they do? They barbecue, right? You know, they put a, they barbecue a, a cow, a calf or a bowl onto the altar. Now, if you've never been to a barbecue, barbecuing a steak is it's a wonderful aroma. I don't know if you're a vegetarian, but to us meat eaters, it's a wonderful aroma, right? And so with that aroma, so that, if that aroma, Paul says, it should remind us of the sacrifice of atonement, right? So what does that mean? That aroma is, should remind us of the gospel, of how Jesus died and rose from the dead. The aroma is the gospel. He says, we are that aroma as well. Our actions should be that aroma, that sweet-smelling sense of the atonement, of what Jesus has done in our lives, right? The barbecue, right? Now, that aroma also should remind us of a death. Death of what? Paul says there's a death, right? To aroma, to those who are perishing, it's death. What does that mean? That aroma should remind us that also the sacrifice atonement is the death of our old selves, death of sin, the death of our wrongs, the death of our fallen nature. Jesus died for us, not just for our salvation, but for the death of our old selves to make us new. Every time we smell that, every time we, all our testimony, our testimony, our lives, our, the way we act and the way we react, the way we respond to things should be that aroma. Life 
and death to our old selves. New life and death to our old selves. The atoning sacrifice of Jesus should be that aroma that emits from our actions. Follow? And so that is what my friend says. My actions are the aroma, the testimony of the gospel. And so I close with this. Remember the poop hit the fan? Are our actions and an aroma? When we react, we need to remind ourselves, are we responding with the aroma of a barbecue, of the sweet-smelling gospel? Or is it the aroma of the foul and death poop that hit the fan? That's our question for this morning. Let's pray.